Hello, I'm Peter Laws, and this is a sermon-only episode of the Creepy Cove Community Church podcast. If you'd like to hear the full church service, complete with strange comedy, special guests, and notices like you've never heard before, then all the shows are available for free. Just visit creepycove.com to find out more. But if you just want to hear a sermon, a time of quiet reflection, and a song, then this is for you. I'd be grateful if you could check out patreon.com forward slash creepycove to find out how you can support the show and get lots of exclusive member benefits. But for now, I'll shut up. Here's your sermon. Thanks. As I was walking through Creepy Cove just the other day, you know, trying to get to know the place, and I saw Robert Neville in town, right? He put his hands on his hip and he says there was a big part of him that missed the days of being the only person on earth. He said, actually, back then, things were much easier for him in many ways. It just left me thinking, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert in the sense that I, I like my own company and um, I get my energy from being on my own. And so I, I, I love hanging out with people. I'm a pretty sociable guy, but I'm happy. I, I get energized, I think, by having some time on my own. And I started to think, yeah, being around others for too long can be quite draining, actually. And when it comes to work in particular, I, I do love working in teams sometimes, but a lot of the work I do is on my own. And I actually really like doing that. I like getting on with things by myself. And so aside from the crushing loneliness and the anguish despair, of course, there's something, I don't know, there's something like strangely attractive in the I Am Legend scenario. Just getting on with stuff, you know, on your own. And yet that is not life, of course, is it? The fact is that in a normal life, some of the things we do, in fact, many of the things we do simply must involve other people. And sometimes it might even be people who are very different to us. We see this exact thing happening to Nehemiah here. Just as a reminder, if you haven't been at the other services, Nehemiah is this guy in the Bible. Uh, the walls of his city, Jerusalem, are in ruins and he wants to rebuild them. He's got this great vision to do that. But in our passage, he's in captivity and he's working as a slave for what some religious people might describe as a pagan king, for want of a better term. And so when the king offers to help Nehemiah in his rebuilding quest, he could have easily turned around and got all like sort of uber religious about it and said, certainly not. You are the one who captured me. He could have called him a heathen or something. I don't know. He could have said like, you're the enemy. I do not want help from the likes of you. Now, is that a good way of reacting? Well, sadly, sometimes we can react, maybe not as extreme as that, but we can be like that. We, we can refuse to work with others, certain types of people perhaps, because we're, we're often blinkered and we insist that we only want to work alongside people who are like us, have, have similar backgrounds or similar attitudes. Now, you might think I'm exaggerating here, but I have heard of some churches, for example, who refuse to work with anyone who don't fully believe in what they believe. Or, and this can be the very specifics of their beliefs. So, for example, they refuse to work with people of certain denominations or will refuse to work with people who have no faith at all, would refuse to work with people who have other faiths. But if Nehemiah had done that in this scenario, the walls of Jerusalem would never have been rebuilt. This passage, in the Bible in general, actually, I think seems to teach an important principle that many people seem to forget – God does not only appear to work through Christian types. He can do amazing things through anybody in ways that we might not even realize. And I reckon it's the same 
with you, you know, whether you're religious or not. Think about the things you would love to do in your life, whether it's a spiritual thing, a work thing, an art thing, whatever. These tasks may often involve contact with other people. And perhaps these people might be very different to you. But that doesn't mean you should avoid their help. In fact, they may be the only ones you can help. Nehemiah's only hope wasn't Obi-Wan Kenobi, it was this so-called pagan king. So if we're to work alongside unexpected people, I think we need to develop a skill. And it's an important skill that people seem to kind of underrate, but it's a skill that Nehemiah demonstrates here. And it is tact. What is tact? Well, it's to be considerate of other people, to not cause undue offense. And unfortunately, I reckon you can see a lack of tact everywhere you go, especially on social media. I posted a video on my YouTube channel once and someone simply commented, you suck. <laughs> Charmed, I'm sure. And that, But that's nothing compared to the, I hope you die of scurvy, you filthy scum. And those sorts of comments that I've seen on, on, on some social media feeds, it's, it's a shocking lack, to, lack of tact and it, it, it can be really hurtful, obviously, for people. Now, consider Nehemiah for a second. How does he react? He reacts with tact. In verse 2, when the king first says to him, why are you so sad? If Nehemiah had no tact, he could have easily just said, huh, why do you think I'm so sad? Because you are keeping me and my people in captivity, you idiot. You know, like, remember, he's been keeping this sadness in for four months. And so it might be completely understandable for Nehemiah to explode like that at his captor. It's like the Terminator, you know, when he leans over Sarah Connor and says, come with me if you want to live. And uh, in that accent, and she could have said, excuse me, you know, like, like you were trying to blow my brains out not that long ago. I am not going to work alongside you. You are the enemy. And yet she decides to do what he says, and it turns out to definitely be the right decision. And here Nehemiah responds with tact, even flattery. He says, may the king live forever. Like he's butchering the king up. He, he even goes on to describe his city as where my fathers are buried. Nehemiah knew full well how important ancestral reverence was at the time of the ancient Near East. And so the way he speaks garners like sympathy from the king. And I think this is where we see a connection between the word tact and the word tactics. Both come from the Latin word that means touch. We see it in the word tactile. Nehemiah, in other words, has the right touch with people. He chooses his words carefully because he knows that having no tact would spoil his chances of success. And I wonder, how, how is your tactfulness in life? Like, how do you deal with other people? Do you do so with respect and care for how they feel, especially if they're different from you? Now, I actually think it's not easy for some of us to be tactful, particularly if some of us have kind of been brought up with, with parents or people around us who have spoken with such abrasiveness. And that's how we think uh, is the way to talk to people to get things done. Uh, and I don't get me wrong, by the way, I'm not suggesting that we have to live our lives like subservient to everyone else and being kind and nice and polite at every point. There actually comes a point, particularly with social justice issues, where you have to stand up and you have to say, absolutely not, this is wrong. And, um, and challenge people that way. That's actually not what I'm getting at here, though. I'm talking about our everyday lives and our interpersonal relationships on a kind of everyday level and how important uh, tact and understanding of other people can be. You know, being tactful can actually really improve our relationships uh, in the right scenarios. 
And like I say, I do think it's harder for some people than others. It can come more naturally for some people than others. But while it can be hard, I do think it's important, particularly if you're coming from a faith point of view. Because sadly, the church particularly has not been a great place of being tactful with people. Some churchgoers' version of tact is more like a kind of steamroller from maximum overdrive, just crushing everybody else's beliefs to make room for theirs. And it all becomes about, you just got to get the gospel into them, you know, (laughs) get the gospel in. And there's no sense of kind of care or interest in the other person as a human being. And therefore, there's no need for tact. I remember a really annoying example of this one. So let me get this off my chest, right? I saw a really annoying example of this once when I saw churches criticizing um, a mega pastor, as they call them, called Joel Osteen in um, a church called Lakewood in America. I think it's in Houston. And maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. But the, the point of the story is Osteen was invited to some sort of kind of concert by Lady Gaga um, or Lady Gaga as uh, the comedian John Shuttleworth calls her. And so Osteen and his wife attended this event featuring Lady Gaga. Some Christians saw this as a total non-issue, you know, no big deal like I did. Um, But others in the community were up in arms and they were saying things like, how could a Christian spend time at a Lady Gaga event? And some were particularly offended because this the, the star had previously sung at a gay pride march. And so Gaga, they argued, represented the hive of scum and villainy that is Hollywood. In their minds, a Hollywood party was probably going to look like Brian Yuzner's society with debauched, slimy sinners inviting Joel Osteen into the shunt. Well, okay, maybe they didn't think it quite that bad, but um, they saw it like that, I think, morally, that Lady Gaga represented a, a kind of disgustingness so bad that just by association, you get sucked into that. But it was actually what one of the churches said next, which really did my head in. A pastor was preaching about this situation, the Osteen situation, and suggested what he thought was a much kinder, caring, more Christian response to the invitation from Lady Gaga. And he said this. He said, if I was ever invited to a Lady Gaga event, I would refuse, he said. Point blank, no. However, he said... I would organize our church to put on a massive party of our own and we'd provide free food and we put on amazing music and we would invite Lady Gaga to us and we'd show her how we can have a good time too and she could learn about what we believe. We could share the gospel with her. And so love is to invite them to our side of the track and tell them what we think. And I thought, wow, that's, that's not love. That lack of care or interest in others I found staggering. And yet I think it's indicative of a worldview, an unhealthy worldview in my opinion, that says the Bible teaches us that life is all about what we give to others. And life must never be about what Christians can learn from those outside the church. But that's just not how I see it. And it's certainly not loving or, t- or, or tactful to treat other people like they're not interesting and they don't matter, or they might not have stuff we can learn from. And so I think we're called to be caring and tactful to other people, to have the right touch with people. And I don't, I've got to be clearer, I I do not mean um, have the right touch so we can manipulate others by schmoozing 
so that they eventually can get to know what we believe, that sort of stuff. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that you have to accept two basic truths. Unless we face another I am legend scenario, then in life we are inevitably going to be working with other people or meeting other people in our lives. And as much as possible, I think we should treat those people with respect and to treat people with respect is to be willing to learn from them and to look for what they have that we don't. And also to sometimes accept help and support from them. And that's what Nehemiah did. Before this big chapter two turnaround ever happens, if you were to flip back to chapter one and look at verse 11, you'll find that Nehemiah is praying while he's in captivity. He's praying for the breakthrough, for his vision to come uh, to come true. But the focus of his prayer is laser focused onto one person, and it's the king. He says, grant me favor in the presence of this man. That's what his prayer is about. He gets that his hopes and his dreams are hinged not on someone like him, but someone different. The I Am Legend scenario does happen every now and again, I guess, you know, we do get opportunities to sort of do stuff on our own and exist in isolation from others, particularly when there's a global pandemic going on. But most of us know that at various points in our life, we have to work alongside other people. And sometimes those people are very, very different from us. And in fact, some of us, some of you listening to this now, you might be struggling with this specifically, that you are surrounded by people who are different, people who you would say, actually, they're too different. And that can be awkward and challenging and isolating. And you might actually feel lonely. I've had that experience before, you know. I like weirdos and people who are into horror and stuff. And, and sometimes when I'm surrounded by quote unquote normal people, I can sit there going, none of these guys kind of have probably ever seen Creep Show 2. <laughs> Who am I going to talk to about the raft in this pub right now? No one's interested in that. And sometimes uh, being with people who are very different from you can be challenging and, and, and awkward, I suppose. However, if you avoid getting alongside people who are different, you might miss a key to a genuine breakthrough in your life. And that is what I think we've seen in the last three services as we've looked at Nehemiah's life. He had a vision to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but he was not going to let the fact that he was in captivity stop him from achieving this dream. But the breakthrough started, one, when he was open and vulnerable about his sadness with the king. If you remember that, and I reminded you that sometimes you are at your strongest when you accept your weakness. So that was the first thing we looked at. The second thing was that Nehemiah's breakthrough went to the next level, as it were, when he decided not to succumb to his fear. And he just felt the fear and he went for it anyway. And in that week, I encouraged you to do the same, to accept that your life, if it is to be an adventure, needs to be a bit scary. You know, all the best adventures are scary. And then finally tonight, we see that his breakthrough actually truly hinged on other people. But thankfully, Nehemiah was the type of guy who would gladly accept help and support and work alongside someone who was of a different nationality, a different faith, a different social strata. And if Nehemiah had decided to stay strong and keep his sadness in, he wouldn't have gotten to what he wanted to do. If he had opted to succumb to his fear and not proceed, he wouldn't have gone anywhere. And if he'd made a decision to never work with those who are radically different, he would never have seen the walls rebuilt. But his vision mattered too much for him to sit back and forget it. 
And because he had this burning vision inside him to see those walls come back up, he pushed through those three hurdles. And he discovered that actually they became great doorways into blessing and a new start. I've shared these ideas with you over the last few services because I believe you matter. I said that at the very, very first service of Creepy Cove. And that you, indeed, may have a vision for your life. You may have things that you would love to do or to achieve. And by the way, when I say you, I really am talking to you as an individual here. Not just as a generic sort of en masse crowd. But as an individual, I think you have new and bespoke qualities that this world needs. And they are things that only you, in your unique mix of brilliance and weakness, can bring. And it would be such a shame if the world missed out on the benefit of you, simply because you refused to admit your own weakness to others, or that you let fear stop you in your tracks, or that you stubbornly refuse to work with others who are different. Nehemiah did the opposite, which means that the door opened to his vision becoming a reality. And if you wanted to read Nehemiah yourself, you could check it out in the verses that you know follow chapter two. Um, he's able to go back and, uh, and start the wonderful yet hard challenge of rebuilding the walls. And all of that has its own stresses and challenges itself. But my point is, the door opened. May it be the same for you and your visions, wherever you are and whoever you are. Okay, well, I'm going to invite Mary Henry up once again, and she'll play some music to help us reflect and to pray. Remember, if you're not into this stuff, that's totally fine. Just uh, feel free to skip this part. Okay, here we go. You are the last human being on Earth. And here you sit, in your lavishly furnished apartment, which is filled with everything money can buy simply because money doesn't really exist anymore. You can have everything you want. In the daytimes, you go out and take everything you want. There's no problem. You've broken no law. And so here you sit, playing chess with a priceless marble bust of some famous general's head. And you're pondering how lovely it's been just doing your own thing, You choose the meals. You choose how to decorate this place. There's nobody to stop you putting your giant Halloween 3 poster over the mantelpiece. And so there it stands, in great glory. It's all good, really, until the night time, when you hear them out there. The others, the vampires, as they call them, the different ones. But you stay inside here, And they stay out there. And they have the night and you have the day. You never mix. And yet every night they are reaching out to you. They want to get to know you. And even now you can hear them shouting, Come out, Neville. Come out, Neville. They scare you and they're strange. Because they're not like you. And to have them in your life right now feels like it would be a nightmare, a disaster, or disruptive 
at least. And yet life on your own is getting tedious. You're sick of playing Mario Kart by yourself. You'd dearly like to set up your life-size replica of the transportation pods from David Cronenberg's The Fly, but they're way too heavy to get out of the box. You realize something as you sit there winning a chess yet again. You need someone else, a colleague. And all you have to choose from are the creatures of the night that are roaming the streets out there. And you decide, nope, I'll put the pods up myself. But when you're setting them up, this mahusive replica brundlefly is way too heavy and it slides forward and topples and then pins you to the floor. Oh. Jeff Goldblum is pinning you to the ground and it's not a positive experience. Your lungs are being crushed and you're dying. And in the panic, you fish out the remote control from your pocket. The question is this, will you risk it? Will you press the button that will open the door and we'll let the others in tonight. It is risky, true. Disruptive, certainly. But what if, what if it's the right thing to do? You choose. Dear God, sometimes working alongside other people, particularly if they're very different from us, can feel like a total hassle at times, dangerous or challenging. And yet, it seems to be an inevitability of our lives. And so, would you help us to see the positives in that? In those times when we connect with others, particularly those who are really different, who may even annoy us. In fact, would you fill our lives, God, with the opportunities to widen our relationships with lots of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds, various walks of life. And in those relationships, may we show care and interest in them. God, if we have a vision for our lives at the moment, some dream that we want to see happen, give us the right touch with the others that we encounter. Help us to remember that we may need those other people along the way much more than we possibly realize. Amen. Well, we've reached the end of our service, so we're going to close out with a song. And so I'd like to invite the Romeros up once again, and they're going to lead us in a song that makes a simple point. If the thing has a vision, then why can't I?
Thanks for coming, everybody. I hope you'll join us for our next service, but for now, do stick around for cocktails and be sure to make Danny and Ralph. Well, thank you for listening to this sermon-only edition of Creepy Cove Community Church Podcast. You can find more sermons, but also full services as well if you wanted to check out creepycove.com. Remember, support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash creepycove or visit creepycove.com and sign up to the Peter Laws newsletter so you can stay in the loop. Have a great week. Take care.